Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hit it! President of the United States has a moral obligation to make America constitutional again, therefore go full bore in the nomination process for Supreme Court justice. Stand by. The doors of the newsroom are locked and the PC police are not getting in. So sit back and relax as we unfold today's edition of the Ledger Report. One anchorman was more man than the rest. His name was Graham Ledger. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. To jam this nomination through the Senate is just an exercise in raw political power. Stop tape. So this is uh, Joe Biden apparently trying to read off a teleprompter here, uh, telling us that it's all about raw political power. If the 45th president of the United States fulfills his constitutional duty, and that is nominate someone who would go through a process in the United States Senate for confirmation to be on the United States Supreme Court. Joe Biden wants us to believe that the president of the United States should not do his constitutional duty. But this is bigger, in my opinion, than just fulfilling the Article 2 requirements as commander in chief and president of the United States. President Trump was elected, in my opinion, to put, yes, make America great again, But from my perspective, and has always been my perspective regarding the 2016 election cycle and certainly prior to that, is that we've got to make the United States constitutional again. And this president, the 45th president of the United States, has governed in a manner more constitutional, certainly than the prior president, the 44th president, who abused the United States Constitution, but even if we go back to the the prior Republican president, George W. Bush, the 43rd president of the United States, George W. Bush didn't govern with an adherence to the United States Constitution and the founding documents. George W. Bush is a prototypical rhino. He did some things in a constitutional manner, and then he did some things in a very anti-constitutional manner. This president, Donald Trump, on a constitution scale, uh, has been darn near perfect, certainly in the 90th percentile. You know, he's up there with Ted Cruz. If, uh, if we were rating people and our elected officials in Washington, D.C., uh, he's certainly up there with Ted Cruz and Mike Lee uh, of Utah in terms of their adherence and their fidelity to the United States Constitution. And so Joe Biden 
is playing pure politics. It's not about power, Joe Biden. It's about, number one, fulfilling the duty of the President of the United States, but an even higher calling here. And that is to try and put people on the United States Supreme Court who are constructionists, a la uh, Clarence Thomas and uh, Justice Scalia. I put Clarence Thomas at the top of the list and Scalia uh, right next to him, but below uh, Clarence Thomas. The goal, to me, the goal should be here to put another Clarence Thomas, if it exists, if he or she exists in this country, uh, on the United States Supreme Court. That would be my goal if I was the President of the United States. And all this nonsense, absolute nonsense, because a woman died, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you've got to nominate a woman. This is really a corrupt way of thinking. It is absolutely abhorrent. It's against what everything this country stands for. You need to nominate, Mr. President, the best candidate. Has nothing to do whether he puts on pants in the morning or she puts on a skirt in the morning. That's what the Democrats do. The Democrats say, oh, we need to nominate a female person of color. It's just like Kamala Harris, you know? The only reason why Kamala Harris, well, there's a couple of reasons, politically speaking, but but one of the main reasons why Kamala Harris, or Kamala, whatever it is, is Joe Biden's vice presidential running mate, is because she puts on a skirt in the morning and she's a, quote, woman of color. That's it. Doesn't matter about her radical background or her failure background. Doesn't matter about her background with Willie Brown in in San Francisco, the, the main criteria for the Democrats was a woman of color. And so this is what the Democrat, this is a Democrat game. And the President of the United States should not play that game. If there's a Clarence Thomas out there, no matter what his skin color is, he should be the nominee. And if there is a female version of Clarence Thomas out there, then she should be the nominee. That's it. That's the criteria that should be used here. And I don't know exactly what criteria the 45th president of the United States is using here. If he nominates a constructionist, that is someone who holds dear the United States Constitution, and will interpret laws based on the Constitution and will not legislate from the bench, then that's good enough for me. The, 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 the previous two nominees, um, Kavanaugh has been shaky here and there. Uh, I know that overall he's pretty solid. And Gorsuch has been shaky here and there. And I don't like that. Clarence Thomas is not shaky. So why is Gorsuch... And Kavanaugh, why are they shaky? And of course, John Roberts. <laughs> you never know where. You know, they talk about how this will be a six-three um, Republican or conservative-leaning court. I don't think so. Roberts is a wild card. This, the one thing we've learned about the Roberts, John Roberts court, is that it's completely unpredictable because of the Chief Justice, because of John Roberts himself, because he cares more. I think about his legacy than he cares about his fidelity to the United States Constitution. So if anybody's playing politics here, 
It's the guy trying to defeat Donald Trump for president of the United States. Roll tape. I don't believe the people of this nation will stand for it. President Trump has already made it clear this is about power. Stop tape. Again, it's it's about fulfilling a duty as president, commander-in-chief, but really also a manifest destiny here because we're at a political crossroads and we're at a constitutional crisis in this country, and there's no doubt about it. And I've talked about this ad nauseum over the years that we have an out-of-control federal government that is grown into this behemoth that the framers of the Constitution would have never imagined and certainly would have never approved of. And then we also have this fourth branch of government that I talk about, and some people say there is no fourth branch of government. Well, there, there is a fourth branch of government. It's also called the swamp. And this bureaucracy that has grown exponentially and completely out of control. So we have... In some ways, all of government out of control. The legislature, and look at Nancy Pelosi. The framers of the Constitution would have never envisioned the Speaker of the House doing what Nancy Pelosi has done, and that's effectively take over Congress, like she did during impeachment. And we have the executive branch. We saw what Barack Obama did in abusing his powers as the chief executive in writing legislation from the Oval Office and rewriting legislation from the Oval Office and saying he has a pen and a phone and he's just going to go ahead and unilaterally wave a magic wand and say a a million or so illegal immigrants are suddenly legal. And, of course, we have the third branch of government, the judiciary, that is completely out of control, especially in the lower courts. The the Supreme Court is is not predictable, uh, and that's scary. I think the Supreme Court should be predictable. I think... The Supreme Court should be 100% predictable because those people should be simply interpreting laws based on the United States Constitution. Everybody in this country should be able to read the United States Constitution. And so if you have a ruling on abortion, for example, that abortion is, quote, legal, which is the the misreading, if you will, of of Roe versus Wade, that it, quote, legalized abortion in this country. It's not exactly what happened. But the bottom line is that's the net result, right? So if you legalize murder, how exactly is that consistent with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in the Declaration of Independence? How is that consistent with the Bill of Rights in the United States Constitution? How is it consistent with the Judeo-Christian foundation of this republic? It's not. So the judicial branch is completely out of control. And then we have the Peter Strzok's of the world. The fourth branch of government, if you will, the swamp, that is completely out of control. That's governed by unions instead of we the people. And again, the framers of the Constitution never would have envisioned this fourth branch of government. So the The president, the 45th president, Donald Trump, has a manifest destiny here. And the manifest destiny is to make the United States constitutional again. And one of the ways is to nominate a constructionist to the United States Supreme Court. And he's got a short list, apparently. And uh, one of the names on the list is this Amy Coney Barrett, hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Amy Coney Barrett, not easy to say, they call her ACB, 
much like RBG, now she's ACB. She's currently on the uh, Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. More on her in just a moment, but it's got the um, it's got the left in a panic. And one of the reasons they're in a panic right now is, first of all, that Donald Trump would nominate anybody uh, this close to an election. What we're around forty days before the election, forty days plus. Um, and number two, that he would be tossing around a, a Catholic, a Catholic as a potential Supreme Court nominee. How dare he nominate a practicing Catholic who actually may want to preserve life and possibly oppose killing life in the womb. And that's why we see people like Aok out there uh, with a probably the most concerned look on her face I've ever seen. Not that I really care. I'm sure she had a concerned look on her face at about uh, 1.30 in the morning behind that bar when, when she wanted people out of the bar. She didn't want to mix any more drinks. She wanted to go home so she could read Chairman Mao. But she looks very concerned right now. Roll tape. And so we need to make sure that we mobilize on an unprecedented scale. Stop tape. What does that mean? Exactly. Mobilize on an unprecedented scale. Is she talking mobilize in the street? Uh, a la what's going on in Portland, day 743 of rioting? Or in Seattle, or in Los Angeles, or in Boston, or in New York, on a daily basis in New York, or Chicago, Chicago with the free-for-all, the shooting free-for-all. What does she mean, mobilization? Is she meaning in a constitutional sense? Is that what she means? How? If she means from a constitutional perspective, what does she mean about mobilizing? Does that mean reaching out to your United States senator and saying, hey, uh, you know, this is how we would like you to vote? That's fine. But is she telegraphing here something? Is she having the old dog whistle as the left likes? Is this a dog whistle? Is this some sort of message? To the anarchists out there and the Antifa mob to take the streets and cause more damage to federal courthouses, for example? I don't know what she's saying here. But I do know that she's worried. She's very worried that there's going to be another appointee to the United States Supreme Court who happens to adhere to the United States Constitution because this woman stands for the new generation, of course, of the modern Democrat Party, which is very radical very green party and the Green New Deal, but that's just a green cloak over red communism, Marxist socialism. That's all her Green New Deal is. And so she's extremely concerned right now. Roll tape. To ensure that this vacancy is reserved for the next president. Stop tape. So this is going to be their mantra. Might as well get used to it, that the president of the United States, Donald Trump, uh, needs to wait, needs to hold, needs to not nominate anybody, and Mitch McConnell needs to, if he does nominate, sit on it and, and do nothing. I, you know, I, I, from time to time, Mitch McConnell um, does the right thing, and it apparently appears this time that Mitch McConnell is, is doing the right thing, and that is that if the president does nominate this Amy Coney Barrett or whoever, uh, that they will have their day in the United States Senate. Now, the process we saw for Kavanaugh, I think, took a couple of months. So, clearly, this process is going to be full throttle, unless something strange happens. It's going to be full throttle in the United States Senate 
during this electoral process, which is fascinating. <laughs> Can't get any more fascinating with it than this, can it? Uh, it's kind of unbelievable the year that, that we're living through in 2020. Um, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I want to speak to her uh, for a moment. And as a practicing Catholic, I'm going to be very careful. I'm going to try and be careful about what I say here. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a radical, a radical lawyer dressed in a black robe. And she was nominated, of course, Bill Clinton, um, from the ACLU, which is a radical front group for the modern Democrat Party, the ACLU. Where has the ACLU been on the COVID-19 shutdown? Where has the ACLU been in California or in New York when the governors of those respective states said, hey, we're locking you down in your homes and you're not allowed to go outside. Excuse me? Where were you, ACLU? Where is the ACLU in California to this day where churches are not allowed to practice, are not allowed to hold celebrations, are not allowed to have more than 10% people outside or whatever the cockamamie formula is. I know that some churches in California are allowing some people inside, but they're they're limited. It's unbelievable. They are choking off First Amendment rights in California, and they have been since March. Where is the ACLU? And so this is where Ruth Bader Ginsburg comes from. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, to me, is the epitome of devil on earth. And so when I see on social media, RIP, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, especially from conservatives, so-called conservatives, uh, Republicans, conservatives, constitutionalists, uh, people who actually care about preserving life in the womb, it, it turns my stomach. And so I have taken to social media and instead of putting RIP, I've been putting RIH, rest in hell, because I believe that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is taking her place in the afterlife along with Hitler, along with Pol Pot, along with Marx, along with Stalin, and all the other people who have imposed death and mayhem on people. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is indirectly responsible for millions and millions of babies being ripped out of the womb and murdered. That's just the tip of the Ruth Bader Ginsburg iceberg. And so that's her legacy. When Mitt Romney comes out and issues some sort of crazy, glowing statement about the long career for women's rights of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and this champion for women's rights, well, I have a little bulletin for the senator from Utah, and that is, last I checked, 51% of all abortions are Females. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg facilitated millions and millions and millions of abortions in this country. And so how exactly, Mitt Romney, is Ruth Bader Ginsburg a champion of women's rights when she's murdering them, helping to murder them? Have you thought, these Republicans, these conservatives, have they thought this through? about what Ruth Bader Ginsburg represents on the court, even beyond just the abortion issue and the way that she legislated from the bench. 
You knew the way she was going to vote every issue. You talk about a predictable Supreme Court. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was completely predictable in virtually every vote. We knew she'd be on the radical left. It's not what the framers of the Constitution would have wanted, and it's not what constitutional Americans want now. But she was 100% predictable from the radical left. And that's her legacy. Another legacy of Ruth Bader Ginsburg is, is very important to me in particular, and that is how long she lasted on the court. And clearly, her final days, her final weeks, her final months, her final years were potentially incoherent. And so we have to ask the question, is that what we want on the Supreme Court? Whether it's a, a Democrat, a Republican, conservative, or liberal, do we want an incoherent person? And this is not the first time. There have been other Supreme Court justices in our history that have been relatively incapacitated. And so is this something that we want to have happen again on the United States Supreme Court? The answer to me is clearly no. And the solution is relatively simple. And that is a constitutional amendment. Right now, there, there is no term limit for United States Supreme Court justices. I have said for many, many years now, one of the main things I think that we need out of Washington, D.C., or put infuse into Washington, D.C., there's a few of them. One is a balanced budget amendment. Another is term limits for Congress. I believe one and you're done. One term and you're done. And term limits for Supreme Court justices. Pick the number. I don't care. Pick it. 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. But term limits. Because we don't want to see another feeble drooling, barely cogent person on the United States Supreme Court, which is what Ruth Bader Ginsburg was in her final days, weeks, months, and, and potentially years. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg, to me, is a legacy of why we need term limits on the United States Supreme Court. But we also... I think she embodies the bigger problem on the courts, and that is we need to overhaul the courts. And this is one of my four pillars to put the United States on the constitutional rails again, and that is overhaul the federal courts. The Constitution is pretty clear about the Supreme Court, um, and there right now are nine. And, and of course, we know that uh, Schumer and company are threatening to, quote, stack the courts and fulfill the dream of FDR, and that is put a couple more justices on there, as long as the two more justices are liberal, so they negate the constructionist conservative votes like Clarence Thomas. And we know this is a real threat. This is something that they, the left has been gunning for for nearly 100 years now. And we've had nine justices on the Supreme Court for about 150 years in this country. Do we need more? Um, I don't know that we do, but I do know that we need the lower courts to be overhauled, and that is the domain of the United States Congress. And the Congress has been impotent to do anything about the lower courts, except add more justices, add more lawyers in black robes who will legislate from the bench. We need term limits in the lower courts, and we need an overhaul of the lower courts, because the system is broken. It shouldn't be allowing these attorneys from the ACLU to get on the courts, appointed or elected, doesn't matter, and then 
make up legislation while they're sitting behind the bench there, which is what we've seen far too often, especially when it comes to issues like immigration. And we have these lawyers bringing their agenda to the courts. That's not the way it's supposed to be. They're supposed to be interpreting the law. Speaking of that, this Amy Coney Barrett, I don't know a hell of a lot about her, um, but Politico did an interesting uh, rundown on her. Uh, One of the things that they have concluded is that she's a reliable conservative. That's fine. I, I, I hope that to be true. I hope that she's a reliable constructionist and that she will have this undying fidelity of the United States Constitution and a way of understanding matters brought to the Supreme Court and then explaining them to the people like Clarence Thomas does. I think Clarence Thomas does a fabulous job, especially in his dissents, which can be stinging, but right to the point. Right to the constitutional point. So she's a reliable conservative. Hopefully that means she's a reliable constructionist. Fidelity of the United States Constitution. She's relatively young. She's under 50, just under 50 years old. So she could be on the the court for, quote, decades. And while that sounds good, again, is that really what we want in this modern age? You know, when the the framers came up with the system, uh, the average age and lifespan was much lower than it is now. In other words, they probably had no idea that a Ruth Bader Ginsburg would be sitting on the court at the extended age that she was. And so while it sounds good that Amy Coney Barrett, if if she gets there to the Supreme Court, could be there for many, many decades, uh, from a constructionist constitutional standpoint, sounds nice, but... From a practical standpoint, term limits, even for the good ones, even for the Clarence Thomases uh, out there, because I firmly believe there are other Clarence Thomases out there. We just haven't mined them, but they exist in this in this country. And also, uh, Barrett was a, a protege of Scalia, and Scalia, as we know, was a um, a solid constructionist. Ninety nine percent of the time, I can't remember a time when Scalia wasn't really uh, in step with Clarence Thomas on the United States Supreme Court. And so if she is the nominee, we saw a preview of what the attacks are going to be like. And and this could unfold during uh, the weeks as we lead up to November 3rd. I mean, if you start thinking about it, there's a nominee maybe in about a week. The process begins. Um, You have Mitch McConnell scheduling uh, the hearings first it would be in the uh, committee level uh, and that's where it really gets nasty and so the committee hearings would begin you know, probably within a couple of weeks so you're talking maybe mid October when we might see hearings right in the middle of the campaign and <laughs> boy you talk about uh, must watch television between the debates which are coming up very soon and uh, this potential nomination process but we got a preview in 2017 remember al franken the disgraced former senator from minnesota well he had the audacity to attack amy coney barrett who is catholic uh, on her faith but also on where she chose to deliver speeches from time to time now i i deliver speeches and i 
I'm careful about who I speak in front of and, and what I say, of course. And um, apparently Amy Coney Barrett a few years ago spoke um, before the group, what's called ADF. If you don't know, ADF is the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a conservative Christian nonprofit group, which means that Al Franken hates it. And of course, adheres to anything the radical left says about the ADF. So I want to go back to 2017 during the nomination process for Amy Coney Barrett of the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, which is where she is right now. And Al Franken, the disgraced former senator from Minnesota. Roll tape. I knew about the Southern Poverty Law Center's classification of ADF as a hate group. No, I didn't ask you that. that. What I asked you was a simple question. I do know what the Southern Poverty Law Center is. Okay, what are they? What do they do? Um, Well, I'm speaking generally. um, I'm generally aware that the Southern Poverty Law Center um, fights discrimination and that they do classify some groups as hate groups. Stop tape. Southern Poverty Law Center is uh, a militant arm of the Democrat Party, and, and their job is to attack conservatives like me or conservatives like Amy Coney Barrett or conservatives anywhere and everywhere and classify certain groups as, quote, hate groups so they can be on the hate list so uh, local DAs can charge a hate crime. The ADF is not a hate group. <laughs> the ADF... If you the Southern Poverty Law Center, if you go on their list of quote hate groups, these are all mostly groups that actually adhere to this crazy thing called the Constitution and this crazy concept called the Judeo-Christian Foundation of this Republic. And so, effectively, any group that the ADF labels as a hate group is probably a group that you ought to consider supporting. I haven't looked on their website recently, but I know that that's all they do. They just attack good, solid, like Patriot Prayer. I, if I remember right, they have classified Patriot Prayer as a hate group. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> you're praying. You're praying. Christian, Jewish, Muslim, you're praying, and, and you are uh, necessarily a uh, hate group because of uh, 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 you have the word Patriot as the... Uh, as the modifier. More from 2017. Roll tape. Yeah, they track hate groups. And you spoke at an event sponsored by one of those hate groups. Stop tape. See, so there you go. It's a nice little circle, isn't it? You have the Democrats going to the Southern Poverty Law Center and the Southern Poverty Law Center doing the legwork to label... This group or this person, a hate group or a hate person. I'm surprised I'm not on that. I might be on the list. A hate person. No, you know, by definition, Christians, we're not supposed to hate. I can talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and where I believe her place is in the afterworld. That's not hate. That's myself interpreting how God would handle uh, someone who is complicit to murder. That's just my opinion. The Southern Poverty Law Center is a political attack dog on behalf of the Democrat Party. So losers like Al Franken can pull up their page and say, Aha! The ADF! The ADF is on 
the Southern Poverty Law Center hate page. And Amy Coney Barrett spoke before the ADF, and so therefore she must be a hater. See how this goes? So if I supported the ADF, I would be a, 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 a hater too. I, I, it's a Christian group. And there's an old expression that you can tell we are Christians by our love. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And not all Christians do that, obviously. But the ADF is not a hate group. Um, the Southern Poverty Law Center is the hate group. And so here we are. We're staring down the barrel of a confirmation process, potentially Amy Coney Barrett, part two, three years later, right in the middle of a campaign. And right during, apparently, if this transpires the way I think it might, right during all the debates. And the next debate, or the first debate, I should say, is what we've been debating now for how many? <laughs> Ad nauseum, right? The first debate is uh, September 29th. It's not very far away. And the ledger register is how important are the presidential debates? I firmly believe they're crucially important during this election cycle because I think they're going to expose to some Americans who haven't been paying attention that Joe Biden is senile. And so you can go to GrahamLedger.com, GrahamLedger.com, and you can answer that question. Or you can go and use the Zip app on your phone, Zip app, download it if you don't have it already, put ledger in the quick code box, and you can answer the question. And the question remains for Donald Trump, how quickly can he get the nominee? It's not whether he should. I believe he has a moral obligation to get this nominee through as quickly as possible and get a constructionist on the United States Supreme Court because the president has a moral obligation to make America not just great again, but to make America constitutional again. This edition of the Ledger Report is on its way to the Archives Library of Congress. Thank you for listening. I'm Graham Ledger. And remember, if today you hear his voice, harden not your heart.